You are listening to Help for HD Live, the first podcast created for families living with Huntington's and juvenile Huntington's disease. Don't forget to find us on iTunes, Blog Talk, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. You can also search over 500 archived episodes and other projects at helpforhd.org. To watch us in person, find Help for HD TV on YouTube and subscribe and ring the bell for notifications on new content. Help for HD Live is going on air in 5, 4, 3, 2, Hello, everyone, and thanks so much for tuning in to Help for HD Live. This show is made possible because of a grant from Teva Pharmaceuticals and the Griffin Foundation. I'm your host, Lauren Holder. Today, we're going to be talking about Proof HD, and uh, we've got Dr. Andrew Fagan on with us. Um, as you can tell, our show is a little bit late in the week due to Thanksgiving. I hope everybody had a wonderful Thanksgiving and that you got to enjoy time with family um, and got to hear from others that you may not have been able to reach out to um, in the meantime since COVID all began. But um, let's go ahead and get started with our show today. I've got Dr. Andrew Fagan and Dr. Sandra Kostick on. And um, Dr. Fagan, could you just introduce yourself first? Sure. Thanks so much for for having us. Um, My name is uh, Andrew Fagan. I'm a movement disorder neurologist, a professor of neurology at NYU in New York City. Um, I've been involved in Huntington's disease patient and family care and clinical research for my whole career, which is 25 years or so. Uh, And I've been specifically involved in in clinical trials, um, involved in running clinical trials and various aspects for Huntington's disease over those years. Um, And I'm currently the chair of the Huntington Study Group and the principal investigator for North America for the Proof HD trial. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on today. We also have Dr. Sandra Kostick on. Dr. Kostick, could you also introduce yourself? (laughs) Certainly. Um, Thank you for having us today. Um, My name is Sandra Kostick, and I am the medical director of the Huntington's Disease Center of Excellence at the Ohio State University. I have been working with Huntington's patients and working with um, Huntington clinical trials since June of 2000. So for about 20 years now, uh, Dr. Fagan has about five years on me there. Um, And I'm also on the executive committee of the Huntington Study Group and the North American Co-PI for the Proof HD study. Awesome. Thank Thank you you both for joining me today. Um, So I've got to ask this question from you guys because I ask every professional that comes on. So you can choose who goes first. But let me ask, why Huntington's disease? Why did you choose? to research or be involved with Huntington's? Um, well, I could go first. I, I, um, I did my, my neurology training at the University of Rochester. So I, when I was finishing my residency, uh, I was approached by Ira Schulson, who had a, a long interest and a, uh, commitment to Huntington's disease. Um, and this was in the early 90s about doing a fellowship uh, in experimental therapeutics and in movement disorders at the University of Rochester, which is where I was training. And uh, part of the training for my fellowship it was involved seeing and taking care of patients with Huntington's disease. But also, uh, Dr. Schulzen got me involved in the Venezuela Huntington's disease project at that time. I think beginning in 1993 uh, was the first year, first year I went to Venezuela with uh, Nancy Wexler's project. And 
the participation in that project, um, seeing and taking care of Huntington's patients, um, getting involved in clinical trials for Huntington's disease all during my fellowship sparked a career-long interest. And so when I left uh, Rochester to um, join a fa- um, to join the faculty um, at another institution, I started a Huntington's disease clinic, and it kind of took off from there. That's how I got involved. Awesome. Um, Dr. I I came from a different background, and uh, Huntington's disease found me. <laughs> I didn't quite uh, go out looking for it. Um, I have a Ph.D. in neurobiology, and I had studied in um, for my Ph.D. Um, motor organi- organization of visual motor control. Um, and had then gone on to medical school, and then afterwards, uh, and then my residency uh, in neurology at Mass General in Boston, Um, and then had done work on neurodegenerative processes, particularly looking at growth factors in the brain, and um, was actually worked in spinal cord injury medicine for a fair amount of time, and am board certified in spinal cord injury medicine. So before I moved to when I moved to Ohio State University in 2000, well, 1998, um, I was actually running a spinal cord injury program and uh, working with some uh, brain injury uh, clinical projects. And one of my colleagues, Don Higgins, who I th- believe um, uh, Dr. Fagan knows well, um, had, had just gotten the Center of Excellence for Huntington's Disease here at Ohio State University, but uh, shortly after um, he ended up moving to Albany, New York, and there was no one available in the department at the time to take over the Huntington Center. And because Don was a friend of mine, and at the end of Grand Rounds one day, one day he asked me if I would take over the center, um, I pointed out that I had not a fellowship training in movement disorders, that I would consider it, I went on spring break with my children and my husband, and when I came back, the chairman of our department came up to me and said, I am so glad you've agreed to take over the Huntington Center. And from that date, though, when I started doing working with Huntington's patients, I was totally fascinated. I have no idea why. It's not the easiest clinic I've ever run, um, but I've been involved in Huntington's disease ever since. And I'm totally committed to helping us find treatments and advancements and cures to slow down the disease since that time. Well, we're certainly so glad to have you both as part of the Huntington's community and helping us um, to, you know, not only find a cure, but better quality of life for, for Huntington's patients and their families. So what we're going to dive into now is what proof HD is. What what is it's a clinical trial, correct? But what is proof HD? Yes. I'll let Andy go uh, first and then okay, time yeah, in so proof, proof HD stands for predopidine. The PR from comes from the word predopidine, which is the name of the drug. Predopidine outcome on function in Huntington's disease. And so this is a clinical trial of a drug called predopidine, um, uh, and it's a phase three trial aiming to see, to prove uh, that predopidine um, improves function over time in patients with Huntington's disease. And and, uh, we could talk more about the details of that, but in in brief, that's really what PROOF-HD stands for and what the trial is. Um, 
the, the trial is going to is a big as I say it's a phase three trial so it's looking to look at uh, to prove efficacy of the drug that the drug works. Um, of course, we'll look be looking at safety and tolerability as well. And the trial is an international trial. It's taking place in North America and in Europe at 60 medical centers, 30 in Europe, 30 in North America, and will involve 480 uh, patients diagnosed with Huntington's disease. Awesome. And so can you tell us a little bit about what prodopidine is? Um, Sandra, do you want to go or do, do you want me to keep, keep going? I'll let you go and then I'll, I'll, I'll <laughs> let you go and then I'll, I'll chime in if I think you miss any critical features. <laughs> uh, so prodopidine is a drug that's actually been fairly extensively studied in Huntington's disease. There have been three prior, prior clinical trials, one called HART, H-A-R-T, one called Mermaid, uh, and one called PRIDE, three trials to try to see if pridopidine was helpful for patients with Huntington's disease that took, past, took, uh, took, part in the, uh, took place in the past. Um, those trials um, showed suggestions that pridopidine has some effect uh, on, in, in, on motor function in Huntington's disease, but were, didn't reach statistical significance for the primary outcome measure, and so the drug was never approved for treatment. But um, uh, part of the issue was that the mechanism of action of the drug was not well understood at that time when those drugs, when those trials were being done. So the drug at that time was thought to have function a dopamine receptor and was improving the symptoms of Huntington's disease by its mechanism on the uh, dopamine receptor. Uh, but subsequently, it's been found that propionine really doesn't have much activity on the dop dopamine receptor. In fact, most of its function, maybe all of its function, is at a receptor called the sigma-1 receptor. And the sigma-1 receptor is involved in many different aspects of brain function, um, but seems to be, uh, when sigma-1 is stimulated, seems to trigger um, uh, activities in the brain that help preserve brain function or improve brain function, actually, let's just put it that way, and perhaps have um, disease-modifying effects. Um, and in fact, when the, we went back to look at the data from some of these early tr earlier trials, like the PRIDE trial, there was evidence that people who were uh, randomized to pridopidine um, actually had a, de a slower decline in their f in, in functional decline over the course of a year than people who uh, were randomized to placebo. And that's something that had never been seen with another drug in a clinical trial. It was not the primary outcome measure of, the, of that trial, uh, but it was something that was noticed, and it was especially prominent in people, in people with mild to moderate Huntington's disease, people in the relatively mild phases of Huntington's disease. And so it was that observation and subsequent better understanding of the mechanism of action of this drug that has led to the proof HD trial to really try to prove, in fact, that, that pridopidine does slow the rate of functional decline in people with Huntington's disease. When we're talking about functional decline, you're talking. What are you talking about specifically? Well, we're talking specific, very specifically about a, sp a measure that is widely used in Huntington's disease called the total functional capacity, or TFC. The total functional capacity is a scale that's part of the Unified Huntington's Disease Rating Scale, or the UHDRS, uh, and it's a, it's, a, it's a scale that's meant to assess how people are functioning in their lives. Uh, it has five uh, components that look at how people are managing at work, how they're managing in terms of chores around the house, how they're managing in terms of activities of daily living, 
um, in manage, how they're managing in terms of managing their finances, and also just in terms of where they're being taken care of. Can they be taken care of at home versus do they need to be in assisted care or nursing home versus um, um, p- perhaps somewhere in between? So, so um, the uh, so it's a, it's a scale that goes from zero to thirteen. Thirteen is normal level of functioning. People are working in their normal job with normal expectations of their uh, of their employers and of themselves and zero where people are in a nursing home and need total care. And so it's a scale that assesses function, functional capacity. And that was the scale that was used, that's used commonly in clinical trials, actually, as an outcome measure. Uh, but in the PRIDE trial, that scale suggested that people with mild Huntington's disease seemed to progress more slowly on that scale than people uh, who, when they were given this drug, versus people who were given placebo. So, but so what I you're saying... The, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead going to emphasize some points that um, Andy had made Um, in your asking the question of sort of the point of the outcome of the trial. One of the key measures I think here is what we're looking at in the trial is something that's very important to the individual as opposed to a particular number. uh, It's it's basically a sort of a quality of life measure. How is Huntington's disease impacting your life and can we slow the negative impact of um, the disease on an individual's life. It's, an, it's kind of a measure that overall NIH has been, lo- the, the research community has been looking at, is to address uh, the needs and the perspective of the individual and the patient of the effect of the disease on their life. And this is, these kinds of measures, quality of life and the uh, functional capacity are key to the you know, the individual's life as they live with facing this disease. So I think this is a very important measure and a very important outcome to be looking at in a clinical trial. Right. And and in fact, the the FDA has recognized this particular scale that I'm talking about, the TFC, as being valuable um, as an outcome measure in clinical trials. And so, you know, of course, there are lots of ways you can measure function in people with Huntington's disease. And we, so when we talk about measuring function, we could mean anything. But, in, but you know, we have to be very specific in a clinical trial about what scale you're right. talking about. And in this case, we're talking about this particular scale called the total functional capacity. Well, and I just think it's important that we as the Huntington's community know that because, um, like you said, there's many ways of measuring it. But one of the things, I guess, that you pointed out is, this wasn't the primary endpoint for Pradopa being in, uh, in another trial. So obviously because of that, now we're seeing proof HD come up to make it the primary endpoint. Exactly. It, it was included in those trials because it's part of the unified Huntington's disease rating scale, which is kind of a standard scale that's used, clinical scale that's used really in all clinical trials for Huntington's disease. Um, and because it's a section in the UHDRS, it, it's it's included in many many trials. But it's kind of you know it's kind of my impression is over the years that it's kind of risen in stature as and has now become a primary outcome measure for for many trials. Whereas before it was kind of a secondary scale that we did, you know, along with all the other you know the total motor score and other things that we did. Um, so yeah, so in those earlier trials it was done, but it wasn't the primary outcome measure. Right which I think is amazing that we're doing that. And I think uh, Dr. Kostick really brought up a good point in that it's a focus of quality of life and how HD actually impacts us and how we can find 
something that is um, going to treat, you know, us and be able to um, live with Huntington's and switching that stigma of dying from it to, to living with. And that's kind of what we're looking at here in Proof HD is, is the quality of life um, and, and that impact um, in the slowing down of, of the progression of the disease. And I, I think that Andy made a point, too, in terms of looking at how we're looking at this now. Andy and I have both been working on Huntington's disease for over 20 years. And I have to admit that I, in the beginning, also questioned the validity of this particular scale because it seems somewhat subjective, um, as, and it, but it was designed uh, by two uh, high-level scientists in the field uh, as they were trying to sort through this rather complicated and variable disease that presented in different, somewhat different ways and across different ages and different individuals. But as we've watched the, the, this, this data and looked for better ways uh, to assess you know, global function in, in individuals with Huntington's disease, it has appeared over time stronger and stronger, I think, as an outcome measure than than many of us had thought. And it in some ways encompasses a lot of aspects of the disease in different ways, uh, cognitive function, behavioral function, motor function. But these all, all these features, the three main features we consider as the key sort of problematic aspects of Huntington's disease kind of somehow come together in this, this particular outcome measure. Um, and over time, as I said, I think the community has all appreciated the value. There are other ways to look at HD, but um, based on the nature of the data we have already from the previous trials using this agent, um, we really want to validate with this study um, the potential benefit of this, this drug. And I, and I think it's great. I, I'm very much looking forward to um, what comes out of this study and, and what it shows, especially using that tool. Um, and you guys are actively enrolling right now patients globally, correct? Yeah, yes. we, we've been working hard over the last six months to get the protocol finalized and get it to pick sites for the trial, to distribute all the materials for the trial, all the sites, to get IRB approvals and, you know, contracts signed. And there's a lot that goes in to getting trials like this off the ground. And um, we've moved, I, I think, very remarkably quickly. And so there are actually right now three activated sites uh, as we're speaking today for the trial, three out of the 60, but the other 57 are working hard to become activated so that they can start to enroll. And yes, at those three sites, um, uh, um, patients, subjects, once they're in a trial, we refer to them as subjects, but patients have been, have been enrolled. At, at, uh, two patients have been enrolled and several others have been screened. So we're hoping that that will start to pick up as more sites come online and as we can kind of uh, get people up and running. So, yeah. Absolutely. So is there specific qualifications or are there specific um, exclusion criteria for the study? Uh, there are. Um, every study has what we call inclusion and exclusion criteria. Um, and this trial, I can, you know, rather than go into all of the inclusion and exclusion criteria in detail with you, I can kind of just give some some. some uh, general over, overview. We're looking for people who um, are over 25, year, 25 years of age, 25 years or older, um, and we're looking for um, people who are 
what we want is people who are kind of on the have mild Huntington's disease, but are kind of on the cusp of starting to to perhaps um, decline functionally in some way. So we're looking for people. There's another scale. Um, there's some scales that we use that we are, are going to be using to identify appropriate subjects. So there's a scale, another scale that looks at function on the UHDRS called the independent scale. So we look, we're looking for people who are um, are 90% who are fun- functioning at 90% or less on the independent scale. We're looking for people who have the scale we were talking about earlier, the total functional capacity. People who have se- score seven or more. That meaning, meaning you have to have a total functional capacity of seven to 13 to be eligible for the trial. Um, and um, you know, there's a list of other inclusion and exclusion criteria, but generally the age has to be greater than 25. The functional capacity, total functional capacity on the scale I mentioned, has to be seven or greater. And then there's this other scale, independent scale, that has to, people have to have a score of 90 or less on that scale. And we also, I just want to point this out too, that on that, on that um, inclusion and exclusion list is, this is for adult onset HD um, with onset of signs and symptoms at or later than 18 years of age. So um, they're not studying juvenile Huntington's in this one right now. That's correct. Yeah, that's correct. Um, so yeah, that's part of the, um, the reason for the choice of the um, age of, of of the age of the subjects of greater than 25. Um, so, um, but yes, unfortunately, that is, that is correct. There, there does seem to be a difference in the rate at which the disease. First of all, how juvenile onset Huntington's disease progresses, both clinically and in, uh, how it presents, and also how it progresses. And because we're really trying to prove that this has an impact on on functional capacity, this TFC measure, which is really designed for people people with adult onset Huntington's disease. Uh, in this particular trial, we're, we're looking for people with adult-onset Huntington's disease. Okay. And what about um, finding the locations and, and getting people to enroll? How would people find the location to enroll? Uh, I would I would rec- I think the best way is to go to the Huntington Study Group website or call the Huntington Study Group. We can we could tell you where the sites are and the closest one to to you. I think I, I, all the sites are going to be listed on clinicaltrials.gov too. Okay. Yes, so clinicaltrials.gov and huntingtonstudygroup.org. Right is yeah. the. Um, is the actual website Huntington without the S study group dot org. Yes, um, yes. And I can Thank put you. that on yes, our yes. show page as well. Good. Um, do you have any final thoughts for the Huntington's community? Well, I guess I, I mean, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to hog all the time here. So Sandra, you may want to comment, but I just want to say that we're, we're all uh, very excited about this trial. I mean, this is a drug that people have been interested in for many years, and there's a lot of data about the safety and tolerability of it, especially at the dose that's being used in this trial, which is 45 milligrams twice a day. Um, and, um, and it seems to be very safe and well-tolerated, um, very much akin to placebo in prior trials, actually. Um, and there's there's compelling evidence that at this dose, it may, you know, it may alter the way that the, this 
function that function uh, fun people functionally decline over time in a positive way. So I think we're really enthusiastic about it, really excited about it. It's a big definitive trial, and and uh, we're hoping people will be excited about it as well and will will um, want to participate. So I appreciate your uh, having us on as well to tell people about it as well. So thank you. Absolutely. So I think. Uh, yeah. Other things people might be interested in knowing, which we haven't talked about, is some of the details of the trial. Um, this is a relatively, compared to some of the complicated trials we do, it, we're working really hard to make this as easy as possible um, for uh, participants to uh, you know, be involved in the trial. It, in, it's a 16-month, a little over a year and a third um, placebo-controlled trial, then there's a, an open-label phase after that. There are, um, at the, unlike a lot of visits and a lot of studies, we don't have people having to come in um, all the time. We're trying to adapt towards some of the COVID restrictions. There are sort of planned over that period of time, um, eight in-person visits with a number of telephone visits. The study is, um, doesn't involve any MRIs or PET scans or lumbar punctures or brain surgery. So from a... Uh, perspective of, of the types of trials that are a little easier to participate in. I think this will be important. This is, that will be a feature that will be a little bit easier on some of our patients who have to travel a little further distance from some of the sites um, that we were trying to accommodate um, the feasibility of participating in a trial. HD is a rare disease. Um, and to get enough individuals participating in a trial, we do need a lot of support and participation from um, our local communities. So we really appreciate your um, inviting us to talk about this trial today. Yeah, and, and Senator, oh, thank absolutely. you for mentioning a couple of the specific uh, details about the trial. So, yeah, 65 weeks is the primary end, end uh, point for the trial. Many of the patients in the trial will actually continue on the drug till 78 weeks, um, uh, on the drug or placebo, because um, you know, people will stay on the drug in the trial until the last patient finishes 65, 65 weeks. Uh, and um, it is important to mention that it is a placebo-controlled trial, so half the patients in the trial will get placebo, half will get the study drug. But as Sandra mentioned, everybody will be allowed, will be invited to participate in a long-term open-label trial uh, when when this trial is finished or when they finish participation in this trial. So. So there are a lot of real positive things about the trial, as Sandra mentioned, um, in terms of, of ease of participation and um, uh, uh, ability to get the study drug, whether or not you're uh, randomized to get the drug or placebo in the first phase, everybody can, will, be able, will be eligible to be in the open label phase afterwards. So, um, yeah, so uh, we're, we're, eager, we're eager to get started and eager to have people participate. So thank you. Yes, that's one of the really excited, exciting things about clinical trials and something that I see more often now is um, that open label side of things. And I think that's really, really good for the Huntington's community to know that, you know, that's available to us after doing a clinical trial. Um, so that's a very exciting part of this trial. Um, you know, I think also clinical trials are having to adapt with covid and that's going to be really good for the Huntington's community as well, for those that had problems, you know, already traveling or um, clinical trials being difficult. So, as you said, this being a, a simpler process 
Um, it's not brain surgery. <laughs> um, you know, that's going to make a, a huge difference as well. And uh, we certainly want to get as many people as we can to participate because it's all about quality of life. So even if you're on a placebo, you're still contributing to this research to be able to get better quality of life for somebody with Huntington's. And that's something to remember anytime you participate, even if you're on a placebo, you are helping. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, guys, I want to thank you so much for coming on today and, and uh, really talking about Proof HD and presenting it to us so we know in the Huntington's community so we can get involved. Um, I hope you guys had a happy Thanksgiving. Thank you. You too. <laughs> Thanks very thank much. You. And thank you, thank you so much for having us. We really appreciate it. Absolutely, and um, you guys enjoy the rest of your weekend. Guys, um, you guys turn in, tune in, sorry, tune in to um, next week's show. We've got Jimmy Pollard on who's going to be talking about his new book. So please make sure to tune oh. in. Okay. Take Everybody care and safe. enjoy your weekend. <laughs> yeah, you too. Thank you, you too. Take care. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to visit www.help4hd.org and sign up for our email newsletter to stay up to date on all that is going on at Help for HD. Get social with us and like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, and subscribe to Help for HD TV on YouTube and ring the bell for notifications.